All right, people. All right. We is live. Let me just bring this up here. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Share it out from here. Just sharing the love, people. <laughs> i got to keep this low. <laughs> just in case you can see my password. <laughs> Not, not, it's thumbnail. Uh -huh. <laughs> right, so, un momento, momentico. Damas y caballeros. Just hang on, almost done. There it is. I can see it. What the hell? Actually, that's a good point to check the audio. Look at that, people. Is the audio clear? Some people were complaining that it was a bit low last time. Is that l loud enough? Or do... If it's not loud enough, obviously get your ears tested to start off with. <laughs> All right. Right. But, I mean, if it's not loud enough, let me know. seva ke liye to yahan you know, <laughs> right, so let me see. That's almost done. This is so awkward having to work around this mic, I tell you. Um, the Lillah Alhamd. Alright, inna alhamdulillahi wa kafah. All I can hear is gibberish and it mufti. Huh? Allah. Oh, I thought audio is fine. Inna alhamdulillahi wa kafah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihil mustafa. Wa ala ibadhi alladhi nartaba. Wa man bihudahum ihtada. Wa bi athari ahli al-madina tiqtafa. Wa ba'ad. Fasalamu allahi ala al-qawm. Ahlam wa sahlam bikum. Marhaban. Juan Ying Lightsir. Bienvenidos a todos, Bakher Ragle, Hushamadid people, and Swagatam, Swagatam. So, ¿qué está pasando, mi gente? ¿Qué lo que? What's going on? What's going on? I haven't actually had a haircut. I need haircuts overdue. You know, this life, I. <sighs> where, where, where does the time go? I think it just all goes in TV series and sleep and <laughs> uh, can you tell us who needs to be Mufti on a serious one Mufti on a serious one why are these people straight away so serious why so serious you know so let me do the usual people those of you uh, I was about to say <laughs> I was about to say Haramis <laughs> That haven't still liked my page. <laughs> like it, yeah. So that's uh, my my different social media outlets. People, Facebook. That's my Facebook public page. Uh, a recent clip I put up for those of you interested in Maliki Fiqh. It's still there. 
And as always, people, uh, somebody had said about the naughty naughty, so look. Naughty naughty. You naughty naughty teasing me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I'd share that one. All right, some people had sent that to me. I don't really watch sports, but that's meant to be an incredibly famous footballer, Pogba, I think. So, well, I'll share that. Moving on to what I am very interested in. This this is it. This is what happens. You know when uh when a person is so so immersed trying to find this romance, you know. <laughs> And then life is passing by. So people will be taking a look at quite a few things today. Um, I want to look at uh, the issue of Fadak, uh, a more de- slightly more detailed overview. I know a lot of people had been asking me. I thought, Chalo, yebi, it's a good uh, opportunity to do that. Um, look at this. Abdul Alim says, I'm, it's the first time I'm giving... I'm watching Mufti Abu Laid, so Ahlam wa sahlam bik, marhaban, khush hamadid. And what on earth were you doing up until now? <laughs> yeah, why were you wasting your life? <laughs> right, so uh, somebody said Arthur Decker again, again, I don't know what, again. Right, so. We'll be taking a look at the Fadak issue, that's something. Uh, also, I'll be taking a look at uh, the Ajwa dates, revisiting that, showing uh, some more detail on that. And, people, my beloved, beloved, <laughs> Hazrat, Hazrat, you know, Hazrat, Hazrat. Sahibu <laughs> uh, rat poison has uh, Sheikh Asrar <laughs> will be discussing his his uh, amazing methodology on proving the validity of Islam. Wah, wah, Qurban jaye, wah, This is uh, the amazing 21st century 2020 edition on how to prove demonstrate your faith uh, is 100% intact. Uh, Not so much your liver, of course, after attempting this. (laughs) Where our beloved drank drama, drank rat poison to prove his Islam is supreme. Wah, wah. So we'll be taking a look at that in the Mufti Masala segment. But uh, let's take a look at what is it that is bothering mi gente. Look at this. Ear Rare says, Salam Mufti, I'm watching 153rd episode tonight. You're doing it, man. You're doing it. That's what I'm talking about. 
Lucy, greetings, alright. Como estas? How's it going? How's it going? Portugal, people, Portugal. Mufti, can two people get married? Acha, over the phone. Here, naughty, naughty, over the, over the phone. <laughs> what kind of hanky panky is going on over the phone? Huh? <laughs> oh, it's a video call. <laughs> yeah, I I don't understand the 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 chuske people get by just these are kind of like just you know just this not substitute real thing you know this one <laughs> but i suppose each to their own huh <laughs> cada uno es cada uno right so asrar is thinking he's khalid bin walid ay <laughs> asrar hazrat asrar we're going to come to him uh Right, let's take a look at what my Facebook, mi gente on Facebook are saying. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Come on, peoples. Where are you? There you are. This is a bit slow sometimes. I'm bringing up the Facebook people. Obeid says, how are your diet and gym regimen? Allah, go in. Right, somebody shams estoy cansado. Por qué? Por qué, hermano? Por qué? What have you been doing? Is the question. Mufti Saab is Mike. Acha Chaudhary, Walid Sahib, Imam Kazi. You're doing it. You're doing it, people. Right. So, Mufti, talk about muta. Abe, you know, I'm gonna have to end up making like a uh, a. a a demonstrating a demo video on muta from a to z but <laughs> this is how to oh that reminds me i had this paper here people speaking on poetry while some people are still tuning in those of you that haven't heard of ahmed faraz legend legend of recent uh passed away not so long ago from uh, Pakistan, an amazing Urdu poet, who he tantalizes such intellectual boundaries at times. Wait a minute, is my, how can my phone not be on silent? Toba, toba. Yeah, toba, 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 toba. Toba, toba. You know the, the Indo-Pak way of touching the ears. Toba, 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 toba. <laughs> Right, so this was a poem of his. Some parts of it reminded me, I mean, some themes, motifs uh, from Ghalib's poetry. This line he begins with about being removed from Jannah. Yeah, Adam and obviously the whole story, the Garden of Eden. And where Ghalib has said, Nikalna khuldse Adam ka sunte aayehen lekin He's saying that was a tragedy coming out, getting kicked out of heaven. But the way I got kicked out of your house, <laughs> he says this was another level of tragedy. <laughs> but here, Ahmed Faraz says, Ham khuld and khuld, they refer to Jannah. Ham khuld se nikal to gehe par e khuda. 
इतने से वाक्य का फसाना बहुत ही सेज इट्स ट्रू दैट वी गॉट चक्ड आउट ऑफ यू नो वी गॉट रिमूव फ्रॉम जन्ना द होल द बिब्लिकल वर्जन ईटिंग एन एप्पल वॉट एवर इट वॉज बट ही सेज इतने से वाक्य का यू नो दिस इंसिडेंट so much drama over this one little incident ab hum hain aur sare zamane ki dushmani usse zara sa rabt badhana bahut hua that now the only relation i have with this world is one of animosity to increase it beyond that like to have any other level of relationship with this world is just too difficult now ab kyun na zindagi pe mohabbat ko vaar dein that should we not now sacrifice love over life as in sacrifice love now over life is aashiqi mein jaan se jana bahut hua allah 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 dukhi atma this is the man had suffered some tragedy i tell you he says that you know now we've lost enough it's you know people say you die a thousand deaths in in love he's saying we've lost that as it is so it's about time now we sacrifice love for life that kya kya na hum kharab hue hain magar ye dil e yaad e yaar tera tikana bahut लो फिर तेरे लबों पे उसी बेवफा का जिक्र अहमद फराज तुझसे कहाना बहुत हुआ अल्लाह 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 आई रियली पोएट्री हैज आई डोंट नो इट्स इट्स मैजिक यू नो इन द हदीस व इन्ना मिनल बयानी लहरा फ्रॉम सम ऑफ स्पीच इज मैजिक एंड टू मी दैट्स काइंड ऑफ पोएट्री दैट्स वॉट इट मीन्स So what else is going on Mufti Fauz Mutabi' is saying hey Mufti is hijra obligatory upon a muslim to a muslim country and why do some ulama say it is you've got to be crazy to do hijra <laughs> hijra means migration where on earth would a person mi- and why would you want to migrate let's be honest these countries are the best countries in the world like let's just be honest about it i mean no you know why 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 blag would you i mean there may be some difference between them some may be better slightly in some legal perspectives rights but i would say europe by and large especially western europe um is really the kind of it is i'm not it's by no means perfect but it is definitely in the at the at the peak of the human hierarchy in human civilization and the development of civil society you can't really you know even america really isn't because america um there's some parts of america that are incredibly advanced and civil and you know like they there's so many facilities and the whole thing and some parts of it which resemble the third world and so western europe by and large with its laws with its human rights with its uh, and it's this this doesn't mean that it's perfection 
it's definitely not and there's plenty of room for improvement that said it's why would you want to leave this and go to somewhere like afghanistan <laughs> well if that's the case then um, <laughs> good luck mate because <laughs> that's what uh, darwin would call natural selection <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, let's take a look at some of the questions. What are me Facebook gente saying? Uh, somebody's asking about Ajwa dates. Doesn't since uh, Sirajul Haq is saying since placebo effect can heal too. So doesn't Dua, Ajwa dates and honey and things like this um, could help heal with medication, of course. You see, this thing on Ajwa dates, I actually brought this up because in the past I've been asked on Ajwa dates. So there is a hadith which is in, <coughs> it's in Sahih Muslim and other books and things like this, that the Prophet said, whosoever ate man uh, in some whosoever ate in the morning or man akala sab'a tamarat, what is it, or, uh, actually let's go through the actual, this narration that is in, Sahih Muslim. Um, this one is uh, Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, those of you who can see this, this is Sahih Muslim, that he says, Man akala sab'a tamaratin mimma bayna labatayha hina yusbih lam yadurrahu summun hatta yumsi. That whosoever eats seven of these dates that are between these valleys, um, when he wakes, like as in in the morning, even poison will not harm him and throughout that day, okay, until evening. Now, I've mentioned that in the past that, look, these things, this is not a literal interpretation. Um, this is just hyperbole it isn't kind of the the dates in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam i mean they did have smaller dates but they had the huge kind of their dates were huge as well they weren't just these kind of regular dates we get now that you can still sometimes find in the arabian peninsula and that very large dates and this was their staple diet and a certain quality of them is was obviously was the hallmark of nutrition and and kind of good health just as people might say today uh, you've got bread in common households here within you know throughout the west and people might say well whole grain whosoever eats whole grain bread so you have this kind of very healthy option from amongst it and the Prophet ﷺ is emphasizing that this is so wonderful that it's even poison won't harm you. It didn't. It wasn't a literal expression. It was just saying that you know this is so amazing. You know, if you've had this, like it's like a person says, you know, if you if you take this supplement, you can bend steel. It doesn't really mean that it is like that. So that's uh, this is hyperbole in speech. Now, there are other hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu said that Darun la tamra fihi, uh, uh, that Darun la tamra fiha, or Baytun la tamra fihi, jia'un ahlu. That this is, uh, that 
a house in which there are no dates, its occupants will always remain hungry. Now that isn't, that's not true by a, it's not to be taken literally. The Prophet was not speaking from a position of prophethood when he said that. He was speaking as a person living within that uh, Arabian context. So you have to remember that scholars, this is why I say the Maliki Madhab, the school of Medina is so awesome. That the scholars really were, the, you know, stemming right from Imam Malik, the, the, the Don of Medina. The voice of reason, they've really kind of held on to that. So you see people like uh, Abu Abbas al-Qarafi. Now, Qarafi is a great Maliki scholar around 800s. He highlights that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is, when we, when we read about him, he is in three different states of mind. Okay, he has a state of mind which is the Prophet. He is the Prophet and he's uh, speaking as the kind of head of state of, uh, of Medina. Okay. Uh, and the Muslims by extension. So as what is the Rutbatun uh, Nabuwa, he's coming from that angle. Then there is another state of mind where he's speaking as a judge, where he's judging between two people. This is not something necessarily generic. It's not for other people. It's not a fatwa. It's a qada. This is the what the scholars call a distinction between bain al qada'i wal futya between a fatwa and a judgment is that a fatwa is am, it's for anybody, and a judgment is specifically for the people at hand that are being kind of judged. It's not for anybody because, uh, you know, the, the specifics may vary. So, and then thirdly, the Prophet as a man, as a resident of Medina. And sometimes we don't know what that hadith it's stemming from which state of mind. We have to judge that by the context. So, you and even the Sahaba sometimes. So you have the example when the Prophet is telling them what to do at but at the Battle of Badr, and let's lay camp, let's set up camp here. And then somebody says to the Prophet, "Is that on Wahi? Is that revelation, or is this your opinion?" And the Prophet says, "La, bal huwa ra'yi. It's my opinion." And then the person says, in that case, I'd like to suggest that we set up over there because it's closer to the well. And the Prophet says, very good idea. Let's do that. You see, so, and then there's the example of Barira who uh, divorces her husband. She leaves her husband, Maghith, and he's obsessed with her. And that's in Bukhari as well. And he's following her around the streets of Medina. He's pursuing her and the companions. And on one occasion, he's, he really, he was obsessed with her, begging her to take him back. This also goes to show that that kind of, um, you know that dominance hierarchy the way sometimes it's presented that it was it was a patriarchal society but the way they present it as women were oppressed it kind of contradicts that whole narrative so we've got here that uh, barira was going through the streets of medina and marith is kind of he's pursuing her and he's saying please please and you know um, and the prophet sees that and the companions are looking and the prophet says isn't it strange the more he obsesses in love over her the more she resents him and and this is an, a psychological phenomenon that the prophet is highlighting here now sh 
later the pro- Marith asks him, please, if you have a word with her. And the Prophet goes and asks her. He says, look, why don't you marry uh, Marith again? You know, he really loves you. So she says to the Prophet that is this, you know, uh, Amr, is this like a command, a divine commandment? Is this religion? Are you speaking from revelation? And the Prophet says, La, I'm just saying this as a, as a normal resident of Medina. I'm just saying this. And then she says, no, in that case, never. And you see, so this is an interesting phenomenon. So when the Prophet is saying these things, like, oh, who ate this, whosoever had seven dates, this is not some kind of cure from magic or, or some kind of cure from poison. Uh, that, that would be absurd. This is simply a great kind of, pra- like, uh, just a praise of that nutrition. And to prove this as well, here, like, this is a commentary on Sahih Muslim. This is a double commentary. This is a, <laughs> a tag team effort, right? So you've got the great Maliki scholar, um, who is, uh, right, who's Imam Mazari. And then you've got Qadi Iyad doing a commentary on his commentary. So and then this so Mazaris is called Al Mu'lim and then Qadi Yad is called Ikmal Al Mu'lim and then there's actually another Maliki who comes several centuries later called Ubbi who does Ikmal or Ikmal Al Mu'lim but anyway we digress so here look at this hadith that I just read out to you now look at what Imam Mazari one of the greatest scholars of this ummah from he's around the 5th century of Islam so we're talking over 900 years ago he says, Qal al-Imam, and within the Maliki madhab, he's known as al-Imam. Obviously, Imam Malik is known as al-Imam, but if they just use al-Imam referring to a scholar, they're often referring to Mazari. Qala hadha mimma la yu'qal ma'nahu. He said, this hadith, this is why what is irrational and un, like unintelligible. Fi, he says, fi tariqati ilm al-tib from what we know of current day medicine. And that's in his time, let alone our time. And he says, وَلَوْ أَن يَخْرُجْ لِمَنْفَعَةِ التَّمْرِ فِي الصُّمْ وَجْهٌ مِّنْ جِهَةِ الطِّبْ لَمْ يَقْدَرْ عَلَىٰ, لم, لم يقدر على وَجْهِ الْإِقْتِصَارِ مِنْهُ عَلَىٰ هَذَا الْعَدَدِ السَّبْعَ He says, even if there was some cure that we came to understand from dates, that was like an antidote to some poison, the seven, whosoever ate seven, makes no sense. And this is one of the greatest scholars. And then he goes on to say, he says, look, إِذْ لَمْ يَثْبُتْ عِنْدِي إِسْتِمْرَارُ وَقُعِ الشِّفَاءِ بِذَلِكْ فِي زَمَنِنَا He says, and then he says, maybe somebody may claim to have been cured by it, but غَالِبًا, by and large, we don't find that today in contemporary medical practices, he's saying. And this is 900 years ago. So, now, and what does Qadi Yad say? He says, maybe that was a particular date that had some kind of antidote to some poison in, in Medina. But he says, look, uh, And he mentions like sometimes you find that in some countries they have certain, the kind of foods they have vary in their nutrients and maybe a particular thing it can cure. However, he goes on to say, look, uh, most of the things, this doesn't uh, really make sense so we're gonna just leave it as maybe that was just something 
the Prophet knew about a particular date in Medina, referring to their context. But in this day and age, he says no. Um, not from a perspective of Tib. Uh, of uh, and he says as to the number seven, وما تخصيص هذا العدد فأمر جاء في الشرع في هذا الباب كثير كقوله سب على سبع قرب قرب and he says وكان هذا العدد مبالغة this number is just exaggeration like when you're trying to say loads like in English people might say we use certain numbers like uh, we'll say you know what just give me two minutes now two is often used. People say that. Uh, they wouldn't just say, like, give me four minutes. Now, that's very precise. <laughs> Whereas if you said to somebody, you know what, just just hang on two minutes. That's understood by that just a little while. Now, he's saying the word seven in Arabic, like sab'a sanabil and sab'ina marra, and these things, 70 and 700, is just used as for exaggeration. Uh, like to kind of mean loads, that's all. So this is what I'm showing you guys here. Uh, this is Maliki scholarship showing exactly a very similar line of thinking. You know, some of these people, our, our beloved Hazrat, they say that, oh, you know, Mufti Abu Layth, when he says things, he has no methodology. He doesn't, he's not in line with the scholars of Medina. I give you the scholars of the school of Medina. <laughs> so sit yourself back down. <laughs> siéntete, siéntete. <laughs> you know, the thing is, it's just that you don't actually know how this madhab and this school works. Now, this is a good example in Sahih Muslim. There's a hadith just before that where the Prophet prohibited that you, if you were eating dates with somebody to pick up and eat two together, to get two dates and eat them together. And it says it's called Al-Iqran, right? To combine two. Now the Prophet says that لا تقارنوا فإن رسول الله نهى عن الإقران إلا يستعذن الرجل أخاه Unless you take permission from the host. Now this is a Sahih Hadith, okay? It's in uh, uh, Sahih Muslim. And it's transmitted by Ibn Umar. Now, what does Qadi Iyad transmit later on? He transmits in that, and he's quoting from Khattabi. He says, this was in the time of the Prophet only. He says, Because what they because they, they didn't have much food. And he says, as to today, when there's abundance in food, and that's in their time, like all the Yads and Khattabi, who are about 400, 500 Hijri, he says, uh, uh, So uh, he says that as to today, they do not need to kind of seek p uh, permission to kind of do this. They don't need to ask the host because today it's understood. What I'm trying to show you there is that these scholars saw these hadith and the teachings of the Prophet exactly how I tell you that it's based on reason. It's just over time, a kind of dogmatism seems to have taken over and there, there seems to be this mob mentality. Right, so let's move on, people. All right, your questions, you can send your... Oh, damn, what have I done here? That's better. 
you can send your questions to uh, Facebook or YouTube. You can send, uh, if you want to really be supportive, you can send some super chats as well. <laughs> why not? You know, why not? You know, so, right. Uh, right. Let's take some of your questions. Now, people do say, yeah. Oh, yeah. I brought some tea up and I forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, toba, toba. You see, this is, people are going to say that. See, God's making me forget as a punishment. <laughs> uh Somebody, Abdul Manan, has asked if Mufti Islam does have an objective, why was the Prophet sent? Was it just to get more people to worship Allah? And what do we do in relation to this? That's a very awesome question. Adam Mir has asked, Bro, do you shape your eyebrows? <laughs> wow, the concerns. <laughs> I don't. Uh, if uh, I'm surprised they appear that way, but wow, I suppose it's. It's the Lord and His blessings. He showers them on whosoever He wills. <laughs> that and I suppose a bit of DNA in genes. <laughs> you know, since my, my mom and dad weren't related to each other. <laughs> not, that there's, not that there's necessarily anything against incest. Oh, sorry, I mean... Cousin marriages. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I mean, nobody in my immediate family did things like that. Cousin marriages. And I'm so glad. <laughs> I just think sometimes that these things are just must be just so incredibly awkward. <laughs> it's like sometimes you must be looking at them at the other partner and thinking, wow, I, I mean, I can literally see my granddad in you. <laughs> I mean, I can literally see my granddad and grandma because they're also your granddad and grandma. <laughs> uh, Benji? Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Patniji? <laughs> Oh, I'm just joking. Obviously, those of you that are married to your <laughs> sisters and I mean, sorry, <laughs> cousins. Uh, no offense, no offense. You know, just joking, joking. It's okay. Yeah, what's what's a bit of intimacy between cousins, huh? Ah, <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> let's take a look. What is going on, man? What what is bothering me, gente? Uh, can one get married without a wali? I do believe. Uh, uh, I do believe that you can get married without a wali, and I've got a whole video uh, detailed on that where I show the hadith and how the hadith are not sahih. Alright, somebody said, didn't your prophet get married to his cousin? No, not like that. Right, okay, so there's a difference between, <laughs> like, that you're related somehow, but everybody is so different by and large. That, I suppose, is slightly different to uh, actual, you know, within the Pakistani community, sometimes they just keep it all within, 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 like everybody's just cousins. So, 
I suppose maybe things are different if everybody's always different. Uh, you know, the mother's different, father's different, all these people are always different. And then one person through the mother, she's related like this, but everybody else, her father's different. And I think you're talking about Zainab bint Jash, who through her mother was related to the Prophet at there, but through the father and the entire tribe and everything was different. So in that sense, I mean, that's... That's not what I meant when I was saying that. But okay, let's take a look. Mufti, did you see Asrar Rashid's lecture on Ghazwa Tul Hind? Would the Prophet really have talked about India in his lifetime? Kapil Ji, I've got a video on this. This Ghazwa Tul Hind is fabricated. I'm telling you, wallahi, this is made up. There was never a Ghazwa Tul Hind. The Prophet would never have. It makes no sense. That the Prophet in his lifetime, who is in Hijaz and just about gets the allegiance of the Arabian Peninsula, the next most important thing to him were the Arabs of the Middle East, the Nabataean, kind of post-Nabataean Arabs, where you've got, uh, you've got who were now living under the Byzantines and the others who were living under uh, the Persian Sassanid Empire. They were a huge, you know, they outnumbered the Arabs of the Arabian Peninsula by and large. So this is why, by the way, when Islam spread to the Middle East, you're probably wondering, some of you who've actually thought about this may be wondering, how come in early Islam there's questions like, uh, you know, can you read Salah in Farsiya? Because people spoke Farsi, because a lot of those Arabs sometimes and some of the converts spoke Farsi. But why is there not the question about Greek? Because surely they spoke, you know, there was the Byzantines that in the time of Omar it collapses. So why? And there were millions of people there. So why, why were there never these questions about Greek? And that's because all those Greek residents, most of them were Arabs genetically. So they actually spoke uh, Arabic with a slight variant, but they could understand, um, what is it, general Arabic. So this is why the Quran, when it came to them, they could understand it. So, yes, yeah, so this was the primary concern. Where you have the Prophet speaking of other countries like China, like seek knowledge, this hadith is, 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 is weak and made up. That, that hadith may have a nice meaning to it. But this thing of Ghazwatul Hind, I'm telling you, this Ghazwatul Hind was only Umayyad propaganda. You know, at the time, the, the, it's, it's Umayyad and Abbasid. It depends which kind of hadith you're looking at. But it's during that era when hadith are not documented. And Hajjaj ibn Yusuf sends uh, Muhammad bin Qasim to Sindh. Now, the, the story they tell people is that one lady got attacked. And I t that's a nice story. I mean, if it's true, alhamdulillah, but I really doubt it that that's true. Honestly, I doubt it. I sincerely doubt it. Because, you know, anybody, people forget that they were just as human as you and me. They honestly didn't care about these things like this. Like, I think we give them way too much credit. Like, we think they were like these kind of super devout, mashallah, mashallah. Acha, we've got some time spare. Chalo, Quran ki tilawat karte. 
You guys must be drunk if that's what you think they were like. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf is the guy who bombed, he catapulted and destroyed the Kaaba. You know, nobody was prepared to attack Abdullah ibn Zubayr because he had, uh, his his capital was Mecca, but he was seeking he, uh, kind of like refuge within the Kaaba. He was inside. So the armies of Marwan and so on, the Umayyad armies, when they would go there, they, they refused because they said, look, we're not going to, how can we, obviously he's inside, the Haram is inside Mecca. Now, what do you want us to do? You want us to throw stones, not stones, catapults into the, into Mecca, into the Kaaba. So they kind of backed off and they said that this is going to be like bad luck and we're going to get sins and we don't want to do this. Who rose to it? Who said, uh, who said, uh, 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 I will do it. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. He said, he said, Kaaba, <laughs> what's that? He went there, he bombed the Kaaba, uh, like, I mean, catapulted the Kaaba with, uh, with balls of fire. They burnt the Kaaba. A huge part of it was burnt. He didn't care. He had Abdullah ibn Zubair who was a companion. He had him hung up, uh, stripped naked, had his body attached there for three days. The Asma, who's, uh, what is it, the, the daughter of Abu Bakr, he, he, he was about to slap her up. Do you really think this guy, some Indian lady from traveling in a boat, said, oh, I've been robbed. Ya Salam, where is the where are the Muslims? And Hajjaj got up and thought, Wah, I'm gonna dispatch an army. <laughs> yeah, if that's what you think, I'd say, you know, if you can pass me some of what you're drinking. <laughs> it definitely seems more fun than this tea. <laughs> Cause come on man, that's, I, I I do I wish it's true. I, I I would like that story to be true. That Hajjaj did do that, but it's, it's, you know, in all honesty, it's very unlikely. The truth is that there was a lot of politics. Some people say that some of the uh, Shia kind of followers had uh, uh, migrated towards India and as they had towards Khorasan. So you have to remember the Abbasids, they, when they did overturn the Umayyads, they came from Khorasan, modern day Afghanistan, and they managed to build a major stronghold there you know, Abu Muslim and all these people. Now, you've got uh, on, there's some, there, there's reports that some of the, uh, the the Imams of the Shia, that kind of, uh, who remember the Hashemins are the, are the opposition to the Umayyads, that some of them escaped to India. Now, there was a fear that they may build a kind of support mechanism and thereby later become a threat. Some people have said maybe this is why Hajjaj dispatched an army. That, you know. And then there's other reasons. Obviously, maybe the riches of India. Why not? And things like this. And But it's all politics, man. You know, even later on, Muhammad bin Qasim, who kills him? Hajjaj. On what pretext? Oh, he was sleeping with the, the queen. Rani. <laughs> Maharani Sahiba. <laughs> Malikai Hindustan. So apparently, I think her name was it Sita? Sita Ji? <laughs> Sita Ji, <laughs> her beauty was bohati sundarthi. <laughs> so Muhammad bin Qasim, no control, according to this narration. So, uh, so when he comes back and Hajjaj kills him, come on, really? Hajjaj kills him over sleeping with this lady? Come on, do you think they weren't sleeping with so many people anyway, with slave girls? 
what difference does it make if he slept with the the I mean what difference does it make to Hajjaj who's all the way thousands of miles away in Baghdad he come on like let's be real like that it always comes down to things like money and power it doesn't come down you know oh you by the way that captive lady you slept with her like they were doing this all the time I mean you you got to so I, I just say, if we're being realists, these things are difficult. And it's impossible that, um, um, you know, Hajjad, in my perception, but I do still like to believe that story that he did it out of, uh, kind of to help a, a, a damsel in distress. But <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, a damsel in distress. <laughs> All right, so what is going on? Salam Abu Layth Mahmoud, Ahlan wa Sahlan, Ahlan wa Sahlan. Mufti, how is Farid Ganguteli? I haven't heard of Ganguteli Sahib in a good while. <laughs> I've got no idea what he's up to. Somebody said the riches of uh, India. Yeah, of course, women of India, of course. The the beauty of India is is known, but I'll be honest with you. I'm sure the beauty of Arabia and wherever they were was was equally you know if not had its own. <laughs> but I don't. I think it's more. Hola, uh, Mufti. Espero que estás bien. Estás bien. Shukran, shukran. Puedes explicar el verso in el kuf. What verse? Yeah, I mean, this, uh, what is it? Muchas gracias, muchas gracias. I just missed the name of the person asking. Sam. Muchas gracias, hermano. Muchas gracias, right, for the question. I mean, what this verse, the, the kind of braying or the sound of the donkey that it makes. It's a very um, distasteful sound to humans by and large. And, and that's, I don't know what, that, that's not necessarily an issue because that is true. Uh, right, yep. So that is, that is true. Somebody said Hajjaj didn't kill Muhammad bin Qasim. I believe he was behind his uh, his death he's the one who had him brought back uh, hajjaj did and he is the one i believe that had him uh, i don't i mean whether suleiman killed him or who did the actual execution but i believe from what i've read that so uh, hajjaj played a big role in having him killed um, whether he had died before him actually getting killed or not may be the case may not but i mean that's irrelevant but he played the role i mean he was kind of behind it from what i've kind of come across right R right somebody saying would i yes i'm going to be addressing the asrar thing uh, towards the end in the masala segment mufti masala so what is going on people mufti can you comment on the background of the prophet's marriage to Rehan. That's uh, we'll do that another day. I'll go through the whole background. I'll bring it up. I'll go into some other details. Some people are saying Hajjaj was his uncle, and what? 
<laughs> they used to have their own children killed, their own parents killed. I think, you know, it didn't mean what it means today. Uncle is a distant relationship. People had their own, you know, ye jo khun ke rishte hai na, ye khun baha kari khatam hote hai. Ye mein nahi kehta hoon, ye ittihaas kehta hai, ittihaas. That's a, uh, a quote from, uh, what is it, Irfan Khan, one of his movies. Right, so why were the Umayyads against Ahlul Bayt? It's it's pure politics about who... It's a long, outstanding uh, disagreement. Maybe someday I will do a course on it. Why not, huh? The Umayyads. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I don't believe they were kafirs and things like this. I just believe they were human, all too human, really. Said, MashaAllah, may Allah look at Said, yaar, Allah khush rakhe. May Allah keep you smiling. Shukran jazeelan for your kind words. Islam, stay blessed. Islam needs more honest Muslims like yourself. Right, I'm deeply touched and and much grateful. Shukran. Right, so Mufti Saab, what's your view on Sheikh Asrat? Yep, I'm going to be discussing that. A lot of people want to know about the poison. Zebaji, uh, what's <laughs> Uh, does Allah Khuda mean the one as significant other? Is the word ibadah used over 85 times in the Quran used for spiritual sexual worship? Sexual worship. I'm now intrigued. <laughs> Mufti Kapil, I'm going to come to your question, uh, Zebaji. Mufti, I thoroughly enjoyed your Noah's Age video. Do you have your own theories on which specific ancient civilizations each prophet was sent to? Uh, Kapil, I, um, I mean, I think that's not so enigmatic. Uh, prophets were sent to their regions, to their people by and large. Um, like so, Shoaib. Uh, most likely the biblical Jethro was in Midian, Moses to the Israelites. A lot of the prophets were just to the Israelites, David, Solomon, um, you know, th these. So Jesus to the Jews. I think, I don't think that's so much of an enigma or so puzzling. I think the pro prophets were just sent to their people. There was a question asked earlier on about what was the purpose of the prophet coming and calling people to uh, God and and I feel that you see the whole message of the prophet was to reconnect creation with the creator or to to kind of you see human beings we really struggle with with true monotheism like because we can understand that there is one God we can get that but then we think like, really, if there is one God, then how can this be happening? And, you know, what? Or maybe that God isn't really interested in me. So to bridge the impersonal God with the personal God, this is really a, a, a difficult task, honestly. And to kind of break free 
the shackles of superstition. I tell you people, superstition destroys human beings. Um, as Not as an absolute kid, but as, as, as a young person, as a kid, I suppose, but probably when I was about 13, 14, like that, I remember there was a time I became really superstitious and and honestly uh, you know when i think back now it was kind of crippling it's amazing now when i think back i mean i was a kid but and it began with what happened is i i can't remember something happened and there was like it, it said like a good omen like something good is gonna and something good happened that day and then I remember, oh, that that's funny, you know, didn't it say it in this thing? And, and then the next time it said it again, and oh, and wow, something good happened. And I thought, you know, this affirmation, this confirmation bias began to happen. And, and I was young. So, and then this one time, something bad happened. And it said, you know, like, I don't know, like, I can't remember now whether it was to do with the number of birds you see, or was it to do with, I can't remember what kind of omen, but there was some kind of omen or did I read it somewhere or something? I can't remember, but I remember that something kind of th this streak of like, let's say something bad happening began. And I started to get really superstitious and I started to think that, oh, you know, this, oh, so th this good luck, bad luck. And I've got to kind of be weird. And, and I was just like maybe 12, 13, uh, maybe going into 14, that kind of age. So. And I remember at one point it it kind of really bothering me, and and as a young person, of course, and but there's grown ups like this, and I'm telling you, it's crippling. And I'm so you know one of the greatest things Islam did for me, uh, when I did, I started to pray and practice probably when I was around maybe about sixteen, seventeen, something like that was to really rid me of all superstitions and i found that so you know empowering and so because even though it was such a long time ago but because i've had some experience of that i can relate to it like a black cat or the number 13 or whatever it is but uh somebody said john lewis said mufti you're waffling bro <laughs> wow, is that the brand, John Lewis, <laughs> on my shelf? Uh, right, let's take some. Do you do Ruffle Your Dane? Uh, I personally do uh, Ruffle Your Dane. Uh, sometimes I don't, but I mean, there have been times that I've left it out, but I personally kind of like it. It's before you kind of go into Ruku and get up from Ruku and things like that is Sid on YouTube. Sid! Where is Sid, actually? I don't know. I, I haven't... Sid's usually on Facebook. Uh, Mufti Saab, does sub Sabah Ahruf still exist, and how is it different? I'm going to go through that on one occasion in detail, but very briefly, I think, no, there's a huge misunderstanding around that. Okay. Um, there's a question coming in. I'll just take this, but it, just briefly, I feel that all of whatever reading fit in with the Uthmanic script was in essence permissible. But some of it kind of became more widespread and accepted, so we should go with that. That's the way I see it. All of this is really just one way of kind of reading. 
it's not sab'at ahruf and that hadith isn't even really sound but um i've actually got it here but i just don't you know i've got other things to go through today i have got it out there's an amazing discussion between some maliki scholars some from north africa and in spain uh, where they end up in this huge argument and some people are calling other people kafir over this and ibn lubs at the head of it and but i want to discuss that on one of my maybe next week i'll go through it in much detail okay Right. Oh, Zeba had asked a question about uh, worship and sexual worship. I, you see, that's interesting. I'm not within Islam. Is there this notion of sexual worship? I, I think in some ways you can kind of see it, but it's not the way some religions have really kind of emphasized. Like Hinduism, I think traditionally really um, kind of venerated sex and intimacy as. And and I think in a way they, that that was quite amazing what they did. Um, you can see some glimpses of that in the Islamic legacy. So things like when the Prophet said, "Wafi sadaqa," and so on. You know, this is like it's a virtuous act, and stuff like this. But I think the Arabs generally saw intimacy, sexual intimacy, as just very natural. Like to them, it wasn't the way people see it today. And it wasn't necessarily venerable. It wasn't a bad thing at all. They had no taboo around it at all. In fact, by their standards, we, we would consider their standards rude. Uh, we, as especially Indo-Pak Muslims, uh, would consider how they speak about it in the Hadith as unacceptable. <laughs> we would actually treat it as immodest speak. Because our culture is very sensitive now, which is ironic because India kind of came up with the whole Kama Sutra. And so I don't know why, Indi you know, India now has this. And by India, I mean Pakistan as well. Hindustan, by and large, has this whole, um, um, you know, sensitive culture towards. And that's really inherited by the British Victorian era. And then the British moved on, but we kept it. <laughs> and what we did is we stuck a label of Islam on it. So it's amazing. But uh, yeah, so that's um, because in the Hadith, you have things like the Prophet speaking about sex in such open ways that we would be like, even when we read it, we're like, <laughs> you know, because there's stories like like uh, some of the companions will come in and, and they'll say, oh, you know, they'll ask something about sex. And the Prophet will just say, oh, yeah, you we we were just having sex, and when we did this, it was like. But it's so casually said that people today would be like, huh? Like especially Muslims today. I don't know about maybe other people, but they'd be really kind of like, whoa, that's a bit, you know, a bit too forward. <laughs> and like the other hadith which I've quoted before, when the prophet goes to call on a companion and he doesn't open the door, and then the prophet he kind of walks off, and the guy comes running and he's tying his kind of sarong is izar and the prophet says oh sorry did we disturb you he says yeah yeah he says i was just having sex <laughs> can you imagine that today <laughs> happening would be like huh can you imagine the uh, molana sahab coming out <laughs> he goes ah bas wo lage hue the abhi uh, you you want to see how I was at it? You want to know the exact uh, the formation, the structure? <laughs> you want to know my usual routine during it? <laughs> so 
so th this is how and then the pro in that hadith the prophet's like oh i'm sorry did you uh, did you mind you know did we interrupt you did, did you finish and he's like no actually i didn't finish and this is uh this is so interesting right so from how they perceived islam uh, it's amazing and how they they saw it as so natural but back to uh the question i don't think it's really seen as a kind of worship thing although it could be but for some reason as the muslim institution of uh, institutionalized version of islam kind of developed people didn't really take it down that road and they just became more and more sensitive right ghalib noor has asked i want to know if Right, sorry. Inaya's asked a question as well. Let me just, before I, where did it go? Ghalib Noor, if hellfire is eternal for non-Muslims, and is hellfire being eternal fitting for Allah's mercy? Uh, Ghalib, I've got a more detailed video on the afterlife and imagery in the Quran, and the etymology of things like the hellfire. I've got a few videos on how the, the kind of concept of the hellfire evolves right from the greek idea uh, you know uh, mythology of hades coming right you know initially beginning with mount olympus and the whole things and these figureheads hades is a figurehead then coming to represent the underworld that creeping into kind of christian uh, heritage where hades is now the afterlife the dark underworld and jesus referring to hades when he says to the people of capernaum or where he, he says to peter you are my rock upon you uh, i will build my church and hades will not overcome you or where he's saying uh, or in the um in the book of revelations where this um behold i uh, i saw a pale horse the rider of which was death and followed with it uh and with it all of hades followed and hades then becomes substituted with the word hell later on and and jesus using the term hell as gehinnom the valley of hinnom people uh and then this is then further taken up by islam and moved forward with its imagery i've said that i don't believe that this imagery has to be literal although many muslims do feel it's literal i feel that this imagery is more symbolic okay uh it's not necessarily a literal kind of thing but people can believe it i mean i'm not here to kind of control people's beliefs or tell them what they should or should not be believing i'm just saying that in my understanding the imagery even to do with god himself in the quran is simply symbolic like allah this is god himself and it's symbolic it's not you know he's not the physical light he's not the photons and that in the so it's symbolism and the imagery of jannah is sim symbolic about you know it's it seems to be really an oasis a garden which is appealing to 7th century arabs now if islam was revealed in i don't know in let's say greenland or somewhere where you know much colder kind of places would have it been different the the description of the afterlife i believe it would have it would have reflected the needs of the people so saying things like got rivers of milk for example doesn't really mean much to people today 
So this kind of imagery was because the primary primary recipients of the Quran who were the make or break deal were the companions. So it had to it was revealed in accordance with their orientation of the world and the rest of humanity just by extension. That's all. So that's my but I've got some detailed videos. Do watch them because I haven't really done justice here in explaining. Um Right, there was a question moving to the next question. There was Inaya Zanin, you're doing it, Inaya, you're doing it. A new convert just asked about the Quran ayah on those whom your right hand possesses. Ah, this is I have got some I've got a a a kind of detailed video on this because I won't be able to do that justice right now in very but where I go through uh, where I explain what the collective consciousness is and the social consciousness and how that has changed with time, but I do I do explain in it that they were uh, they were captives. They were these things. Slavery did exist, although Islam doesn't encourage slavery and it does encourage freeing slaves, but it does acknowledge it. I I won't you know. There's no point trying to deny that. It did acknowledge it because it was part and parcel of human society when Islam was revealed so keeping that in mind um yeah i that's that's what i would say yes so let me just boost this up slightly hello hello just checking the i felt that the volume was slightly let me just boost it up a bit right so yeah so i won't be able to really do that much justice just here and now so what i'm going to say is that i've got a clip where i go through and i actually show you exp uh like there's a, a certain experiment in showing how consciousness becomes altered and things like this and i think i do much more justice there in that clip because i go into much detail break it all down and why sex was there i'm not denying that but their perception of sex was slightly different to how we perceive sex today um it's still sex i'm not trying to kind of uh beat around the bush but i'm just saying that it is different still and how and what does that mean and i go through a lot of uh kind of examples and analogies so do check that out please uh uh it's baqilani not baqiani watch your mouth what is going on Uh, right, so Zebai, your question doesn't make too much sense. Okay, so, but I mean, each and all to their own questions. Anybody can ask. What is somebody said? I want rivers of Ruh Afza Khadim Hussein, <laughs> and such you will be granted. Right, let's go on, people. Let's take a look man what's going down what's going down can you elaborate on the minority of today against this dogma mob and morality i'm not sure i understand the question khadim hussein is saying do mulvis get kinky ah <laughs> uh, do mulvis get kinky i don't think you've you've quite studied with <laughs> lived the dervish lifestyle you know <laughs> when the mulvi sahab comes with his wudu slippers 
Toba, toba, toba. These madrasas and what, what kind of <laughs> what debauchery and zulm goes on over there? <laughs> so what is going on, mi gente? What is going on? Right, Sharamagia uh, at the thought. <laughs> right, so you are a kafir, and Akil Abid agrees. Oh, JJ, you're a kafir. Who's JJ? I don't know. Have you seen the Netflix series Who Killed Malcolm X? No, I actually did begin it though. I've watched, I think, just one episode and one and a half. Did Imam Bukhari used to pray two rak'ah? What is it? Pray before traveling to Medina and did research. I think, you know, I this thing of Imam Bukhari used to pray two rak'ah before each hadith he put in the, in his book. I, it, <laughs> this is what I call nice speak, you know, nicely. And this one nice, you know, this one. <laughs> I mean, it's re it's very unlikely. I think maybe maybe before he began writing each day, he prayed two rakah. Uh, that's more believable. But I, you know, I, every hadith he got up and wrote two rakah, and then he's got like about eight thousand hadith in his book. <laughs> this would have taken him forever if he was doing that. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. But I don't think so. I think there's a lot of exaggeration that they maybe they do it with with good intention. Mulvis are some of the kinkiest people on the planet. Tarki Mulvi. Tarak. Tarak. This is what we call the Tarak. This is the terminology, the nomenclature, rather. <laughs> tarak is full on. It's on nitro boost with the Mulvis. Uh, right, so the difference of his minority view and the mob mentality Islam. Why is there a distinction between a hurra and an amma in clothing? I don't believe there was. I think that the slave girl, so to speak, that they're saying, I think that a lot of these things are post-occurrence kind of uh, institutionalizations. So people have put them in the books, but I don't think really the world was like that. It is true that the in Arabian society, early Islam, covering the face, one was done out of whatever, but two was also sometimes a status symbol, that they had that culture. And, you know, maybe in that case, some women who felt that they were of a higher status kind of covered their face uh, as part of their culture. But it's not really and and yes obviously slaves wouldn't be walking around kind of like dressed or like they they would obviously unfortunately be slaves so you can imagine their clothing wouldn't be of that standard and maybe kind of scantily dressed and whatever but i don't think it's quite the way people pretend you know like they act like all these women walked around bare-breasted in medina and all this kind of stuff uh, i really doubt that after all you know, men are men, you know. <laughs> I really doubt that they it, it bothered them about the social status. <laughs> They're like, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. She's so, so, sorry. What social status is she? Oh, that's okay then. <laughs> As many of the Salaf used to say about the, you know, about the about the other fella, <laughs> the fella down south, <laughs> Babu Bai. They used to say, Inna sahibi a'ma wa asam. You know, they used to say, My companion. They're talking about, <laughs> he's blind and and deaf. You know, he doesn't listen to anyone. He doesn't see. Whatever he wants, he just does. This this one, out of control. <laughs> so I really doubt that. I think these things are all people making up um, uh, stuff later on. Yeah, the covering the face status. I don't think it always persisted, but there was a culture that some people did do that for status. And you get that sometimes the queen of Bhopal and certain other queens and of certain empires did used to do that as a status symbol as well. Um, did the prophet read uh, Salat? So Ibrahim in the third person no 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 he didn't like that he didn't say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad like that I think most likely the prophet once tashahud is done at tahiyatulillah uh, then they just said a dua and said salam so this is things that we've kind of put in into salah that we feel are still part of salah like they kind of like because in that you say you know assalamu alayka your nabi so you're kind of giving salam anyway and this is an extension of that and then you add a dua okay qasim shukran much love much love did the, what else is going on what are some of the questions mufti sahab have you heard of the famous peer known as chuf peer chuf chuf I have, I have, and I'm. I think really the WHO, the you know from the United Nations, are really trying to look for him right now with coronavirus. Pir sabz zara chuf chuf kar dijega, chuf chuf, and the coronavirus is like ah ah ah. <laughs> See, this is it, and this is where you know how religion turns people in like it really just makes certain people dumb you know in the name of you know there's things that you would never be able to get away with but you stamp religion on it and it's amazing how people get away with it you know like this chuff chuff like can you just imagine this like but in some ways i feel you know my theory is in some ways fair play you know to chuff chuff sub you know, when you look at that chuf chuf beard, you can see that nutty nutty in him. You can see it though. He's He's got the, a bit of that kind of charisma and a bit of that. I I feel in some ways fair play. Because look, this world is the law. It is the jungle. And it's not the fault of people trying to con other people. Because I think it's... By the law of the jungle, there will always be people out there trying to con you. It's shame on you for being deceived. You see, it's not like I don't, I blame the people that f that actually get deceived by as opposed to the deceiver. Because I think, look, because if Chuf Chuf Saab didn't con them, somebody else would con them. You know, a fool and his gold 
are soon, you know, they soon part ways. It's not, you know, you can't really. <laughs> it's like, I think people who are just stupid, they, they deserve to be kind of like conned because somebody's got to do it. So you think, look, somebody's going to con them anyway. Cello, I might as well con them. <laughs> you know, survival of the fittest, I guess. That's that's what it is. So, Qasim, Allahu Akbar, Hayakum Allah. Look at that, Qasim D, people, Qasim D. <laughs> right, Mufti, I've been following you for a while. Your uh, Mart has been bullying a girl on chat. What? He swore at her dad, who has passed away last week. And for no reason, putting her on mute constantly for no reason. Please sort out your moderator. Right. Uh, I don't know who that is. That's that. But do send me a message, please. I this, but about the moderator kind of just uh kind of muting people who are asking genuine questions uh can you please not do that okay so <laughs> otherwise i'm right i'm gonna have a word with the moderator uh, do not and under no circumstances uh can you be can anybody really be bullying on my uh chat or generally you shouldn't be doing it but definitely not on my chat it's utterly unacceptable on his or whoever has done that, I mean, the girl that's gone through whatever, I have, inshallah, yassarallah, I apologize you've had to suffer this, but I will look into it. I will look into it. I mean, uh, well said, we are all given aql as a gift to use. Um, Mufti, why not discard hadith totally? I don't believe in discarding hadith totally. I've got uh, several, you know, if you go to my YouTube thing, I've got this. Uh, a, a set of videos which address things like uh, should we reject hadith altogether Bukhari gate what do we think of Bukhari how should we approach do check those out people because I do answer this there on why I don't Mufti can you draw a principle to get money of money of out politics from from Surah Baqarah verse 1 what can you can you draw as a principle to get money of out politics from Surah Baqarah? Mark, I'm sorry, I don't understand what that means. Um, maybe make take money out of politics. Can you make money from politics? Is that the question? If that's the question, I suppose you can make money from politics. It's you, know, you can make money. I suppose politics is a mean as well. Uh, Zebaji, can you could you shed light on understanding of experience of Surah Najm? Had a dream that was exactly like the verses of Surah Najm. Surah Najm is an amazing surah in the Quran. It's uh, um, you know it's 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 kind of rhythmic nature. Uh, it's a Makkan surah, and it's not that long, and and it has it touches up on mainly it's trying to affirm to the people that this messenger brings to you a message and how you know d like just think about it you know could he really be making this up do you really believe just look at the message and and then look at the things that you're making up you know in here illa asma'un samaytumuha antum wa'abaukum this is from surah najm and 
Um, you said that you saw Surah Najm in your dream. Sure, I mean that's uh, that's that's good. I mean, seeing the Quran in your dream. It's, I do think you know. I think is it age? I don't. <laughs> but I feel that you know now. I think more and more that maybe like I'm really intrigued by the realm of dreams. And I do feel that it has maybe some connect with the greater consciousness. And I feel that in the past, humans maybe were more fine-tuned to stuff like this. And in our current society, we do brush them off. In psychology up until today, the general kind of the activation theory and the other theories on explaining dreams don't really quite cut it. And I do, you know, I know Freud said, in fact, Freud may be in some ways because he's at least saying it's the unconscious mind. I'm saying that what if it is that that kind of consciousness, but also part of the collective consciousness? Um, and, and I feel that's what the hadith in Bukhari is saying. That arwah that I say the ruh is consciousness, that this is connected as a social network of consciousnesses, if you like. Yeah, but uh, hmm, what else is going on? Is it okay to charge to teach the Qur'an? Right, this is an issue of debate amongst the scholars traditionally. And the, the Hanafi scholars didn't agree with that, so they generally felt it was impermissible. Although the school of Medina, the Maliki ulama, felt that uh, it is permissible to teach, to charge, to teach things like fiqh or to teach Qur'an or to teach hadith or to teach Arabic or whatever it is, that they felt ought to do azan. Um, in, fact, uh, in fact, one of the early, one of, there's a classical book written on this by uh, an Andalusi scholar from Granada on the Imam, uh, the Mu'addin, taking a salary and uh, for doing the Adhan and and the Imam and things like. And I think that there's no harm really because you know if you don't value these things, the problem will be that you're not gonna get the creme de la creme that rise. Like it's like today, because knowledge and scholarship is a redundant faculty. That once you become an imam, there's nothing to do. You know, you can, once you become an alim, there's nothing to do. Like you can either teach in a local masjid where you get paid a hundred pound a week, which is ridiculous. I'm not even sure if that's legal, <laughs> but you probably get paid something like that. Or you know, you could teach at some basic madrasa, and but there's nothing to do. So people with talent are not drawn to this field. People with talent want to then become doctors and dentists and lawyers and uh, whereas if this field genuinely paid well you would draw talent naturally people follow the money <laughs> there's nothing wrong i think so if you want really talent you have to pay well you know that's unfortunately the the thing so i so i don't believe in this and then i suppose if somebody's taking his time out to teach the Quran or do imama in a masjid, then he should. We shouldn't expect them to do it for free. I do think that's a bit, you know, taking the mic. But yeah, so right, people. Shall we? Right. Right. Just trying to. 
Alright, so... Right, okay, people, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick... Uh, we are going to come to the rat poison thing. Let's take a look at this um, Fadak issue. I want to explain that. It's... Right, so... Un momento, un momento, people. Right, so I've explained previously that... Uh, which was quite brief, but I've been asked to go over it. I have looked into this in much more detail now. Um, gone through, you know, the entire hadith involved, a lot of the history. I also had the opportunity to go down to, within Birmingham, this uh, just weekend gone, really, just Saturday, there was a, uh, a kind of symposium held on this at a Shia institute, which was looking at the Fadak issue from a Shia and Sunni perspective and just highlighting the case at hand. Obviously, I mean, the, the Institute was Shia, but it's it was kind of with regard to the Sunni perspective as well. And the Institute was called uh, Al-Mahdi Institute. It's in Selly Oak in Birmingham. I have to say, first of all, just as a side note, for one I was so mesmerized by the actual building and institute that they've got. Honestly, I've, I, I totally loved it. It's, I, I think it was part of Birmingham University or something before. It's like a university hall or a separate kind of um, a unit almost, which uh, has all its en-suites and everything and very modern, amazing kind of landscape. Just I, I, I was wowed, mesmerized by it as a Islamic faculty. I mean, I've been in faculties like that before that, or when I'm going to things like psychology courses at universities and stuff like this, but I've never seen anything to do with Muslims like that. And it was incredibly organized, up-to-date, you know, kind of technology. Um, I, I was just wowed. One, with the building. Two, there's, uh, I think it's under the... Um, I think the principal sheikh there is Sheikh Arif, a very kind of balanced uh, Shia scholar. Uh, it was the first time I met him, but somebody who's he's quite very controversial within the Shia circles. He's challenged a lot of controversial Shia points, and I think the, a lot of the Shia have actually boycotted him. Uh, but uh, amazing, very hospitable person. I loved the, the way they welcomed me. There were many Sunnis there, by the way, some great... Uh, traditional Sunni scholars like uh, like trained in uh, back home Pakistan etc. People like Allama Khalid Mahmud Saab, um, amazing. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of love he was showing me because I was thinking, come on, I mean, I because I, I, I really did not expect it from somebody uh, so traditional uh, looking at me. I mean, because, you know, I mean, just the way I look and things like this and my views are sometimes very kind of challenging. But so hospitable he was, uh, Allama Khalid Saab and Mufti Farooq Saab. Both, these are Sunni kind of scholars from Birmingham, um, old school. And they presented their things in Urdu. But it was an amazing opportunity. So I thought I'll just mention that there. I did really enjoy the visit there. And... Um, I think we need to collaborate so much more. You know, Sunni, Shia, this whole thing. We need to really... Um, we really need to kind of um, go through this. V Vera, you are busy, but if you... 
get a bit of time, please do answer my question. Oh, yes, Sid, shukran, much love. I definitely will. I'm just trying to see <laughs> what the question was, right? I've got to, if you can just repost your question, please. And it doesn't need to be, it could just be a standard post. I, I will get to it. I'm just, as soon as, let me just go through Fadak. I can't see the question. Right, so... Right, so I can't see uh, Mesut. I can't see his question. Can somebody post his question, please? Um, right, so I wanted to discuss. So we went through this whole thing a bit about Fadak. So Fadak is to do with it's a piece of land. I'm going to bring it up. Let me just see here. So for people asking, this, as you can see, uh, I've got it highlighted there, Fadak, and in the center, in the kind of rectangle, is uh, uh, is Medina. So you can see that there. Right, so that's Fadak, and to the top uh, left of it is Khaybar, and it was in the outskirts of Khaybar, Fadak was, and it was... Um, kind of given to the Prophet uh, as part of fate. Okay, now fate is that land which the it's that land which the Prophet is given. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that that land which the prophet receives through without warfare so it's a kind of truce but as part of the truce people sometimes they would say things like especially in in, in old times they would say things like look if you um uh they would they would say things like look okay we don't want war I'll tell you what we'll do this sometimes they might say look i'll tell you what we'll all leave this region we'll move to that region you can have this or they might say something like, you know what, just take this particular thing and let's have a truce, let's do this, that, whatever. It was, it was a kind of compromise that people would do. So during the Battle of Khaybar, there were a lot of surrounding territories and, and some of them were taken as a truce. They weren't actually taken as... Um, uh, as, you know, with actual war. And there is the verse of the Quran we're looking at is in Suratul Hashar. So if we take a look at it begins with verse five, Ma qata'atum. So Billah min Shaitan regime. So Allah says, Ma qata'atum min linatin aw taraktumuha ka imatan ala usuliha fa bi idnilla wal yukzi al fasiqin. So Allah is speaking about them this as you go into warfare and so on. وَمَا أَفَاءَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ And that which Allah gives as fate. And fate is this land or whatever comes as a truce. عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ مِنْهُمْ فَمَا أَوْجَفْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ خَيْلٍ وَلَا رِكَابٍ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهُ يُسَلِّطُ رُسُلَهُ عَلَىٰ مَنْ يَشَاءٍ And you have not had to kind of wage your you know war with your horses or do things like this Allah has given Allah has allowed the messenger to kind of preponderate and subdue 
and control the situation here. And it mentions, Wallahu ala kulli shayin qadir, ma afa Allahu ala rasuli. So what Allah gives as fate min ahlil qura, falillahi walil rasul. Then it is for Allah and His Rasul. Walidil qurba. So walidil qurba, wal yatama, wal masakin, wabn sabil. Kayla yakuna dulatan bain al agnia iminkum, wa ma atakum ur rasulu fahudu. Now this is uh, from that verse 7 in Surah Al-Hashr. Now, in this verse, Allah mentions these five categories of, of who, the, who benefits from the faith. For Allah says, Lillahi wa Rasul. So people generally count Allah and His Rasul as one. You know, it says, Walidil Qurba, Wal Yatama, so the relatives of the Messenger, Wal Yatama, orphans, um, and Allah mentions Wabna Sabil and people who are uh, travelers that kind of need this and stuff. So the issue is here we're dealing with this land, the, and this particular land that we're looking at is, is called Fadak that I've shown in the map. Now, What's happened is during the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I want to give you a synopsis in some in more detail, that during the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he had this, this land and it was very fertile. They say that Fadak was incredibly fertile. So it had a lot of produce, you know, it produced things like whether it was barley or dates and things like this. Now, the Prophet would use it. And in some riwayat, he would use it for travelers that were coming. He would kind of have that allotted and he would have a portion from it. Some riwayat say he would split it in two or sometimes in three and use a portion for this and a portion for that. He would set a certain uh, amount aside as a reserve for crises. Like sometimes there was, you know, low food availability. There were things like this. There may have been armies going out. So this is how they were organized. Now, the issue at hand was there's two key issues. After the Prophet's lifetime, could this be inherited by his offspring, who in this case is Fatima radiallahu anha? Now, what we know as a fact is that Fatima radiallahu anha approaches Abu Bakr to ask for her inheritance, but she doesn't receive it. She asks for this. Now, she asks for uh, the sadaqat, the sadaqat, as in the, the land which is around Medina, which was Bani Nadir land. She asks for Khaybar and she asks for Fadak. She asks for not just Fadak, quite a, she asks for, there's a, a large claim that is made or a claim for a large quantity is made. Better to word it better. Now, Abu Bakr radiallahu an responds by saying, the Prophet said, La nurath, we as Prophets do not bequeath, we do not leave things in inheritance. Ma tarakna sadaqa. Uh, right, so uh, whatever we leave is, is a charity. Um, the question on reincarnation, I'll come to that in just a moment, as soon as I just finish this topic of Fadak. Right, so I will, I will discuss that. I'm just going to, let me just uh, finish this. Right, so the, the issue here is that we know that happened, okay, that she's denied this. Now, the question is, was, who was right here? 
Right. Khalid uh, Serafi, I'll come to your question as well. Just on momento, on momento. Right. So, uh, and shukran, much love. Right. So, I, I really want to explain this in some detail. So, now we have these reports. We have it in Bukhari that uh, Fatima radiallahu anha comes. She asks for this. In fact, I'm going to bring the hadith in front of you. So, you can see this hadith here that Fatima is asking Abu Bakr. She asks for the sadaqat of Medina. And she asks for um, also Fadak and Khaybar. Now, and then this goes on to mention, it gives a kind of story in Abu Bakr saying, no, that look, I'm just going to leave it as how the Prophet had it. And that the Prophet kind of oversaw things. He kind of oversaw it, but not as a as his property but as a guardian as a manager of it basically and it actually belongs to the muslims and then it mentions that and then this went on to umar and then umar kind of allowed the guardianship or the managing of it to ali and abbas and then uh, but that's of the bani nadir land but fadak and khaybar he kept control of under the state and then it mentions that uh, in other narrations it does go on that this in the time of uh, Uthman is then given to Marwan. Now, I want to highlight here, there's some important points, right? And that is, it's a really important question. This land of Fadak or fate, fate, what we're calling fate, we're spelling it as F-A-Y and then with an apostrophe for the Hamza fate. Now, fate, do you, does one own fate? Or is he simply managing it? Because this is what Allah says that you have obtained without having to struggle for it. So it belongs Lillahi Walir Rasul Walidil Qurba Wal Yatama Wal Masakini Wabnisabil. Now, does it belong to the general public? Is this an endowment or is this personal property? Here, there is a difference of opinion amongst scholars on what fate should and ought to be. Now, this really, if one can understand that, they understand the whole debate. Abu Bakr an denies Fatima this based on his understanding that this is really not personal property. This belongs to the state, belongs to the general Muslims. So her Fatima radiallahu anha, her perspective was that this belonged to the Prophet himself. Now we do the Shia sources seem to indicate they claim that Fatima radiallahu anha during her lifetime was gifted this by the Prophet. And she simply came to Abu Bakr to just kind of state her claim. And Abu Bakr denied it. So this is why some of the Shia then go on to say, so this is, he usurped, he kind of snatched, stole her land from her. Now, some of them claim that, they go to that extent then. The, within the Sunni sources, the, like in Abu Dawud, there's a hadith that the Prophet, in his lifetime, Fatima asks her for Fadak and these lands. And the Prophet said, no, he doesn't give it to her. Now, one might say, well, 
that doesn't sound like you know is that the case the prophet would have surely given it to him but actually in the sunni sources you do see there's another very famous hadith in which in the sahih uh, in sahih bukhari i believe where the uh, where fatima sees that there's uh, many more servants have been brought in by the state and she comes to the prophet and complains about her struggling with household work and asks for a uh, a slave a servant to kind of help her and the prophet when he finds out that this is what she came for he comes to visit her and he tells her that shall i tell you something better than that and that is to recite this dua every day but he doesn't give her the slave now my point is that it within the sunni sources it appears that during the lifetime of the prophet fatima was not given this was not gifted this uh, although the shia sources claim it was so that changes the kind of debate slightly from the two perspectives we all agree that during abu bakr's uh, after the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam fatima comes to abu bakr she asks for it she isn't given it uh, she is upset with abu bakr that much is kind of true and i do think from an inheritance perspective fatima radhiyallahu anha was right uh, i feel because looking at it and looking at these arguments from the quran but this is the thing i kind of now feel both were right in their own way and i want to explain this that fatima in the sense that in the quran it mentions that the prophets do inherit like wa waritha sulaiman dawood and sulaiman inherited from dawood and we know that wasn't prophet just prophethood we know that the kingdom of david goes on to become the kingdom of solomon it becomes one of the most powerful kingdoms in its day and age and one of the most wealthiest kingdom of solomon so we know that was wealth we know that the uh, you've got uh, zakaria uh, saying alayhi salam in the quran wa inni khiftul mawaliya min khalfi i i fear these people after me that rabbi habli uh, that grant me a child he says to allah yarithuni that may inherit from me wa yarithu min ali yaqub so we know that this inheritance thing does seem to see the quran seems to suggest or incline that they do inherit and when allah says to the prophet you seekum allah fi auladikum allah tells you about your children that inheritance is like this and a girl gets this much and a boy allah ought to have then said by the way we don't mean you ya rasulullah we mean normal people rest of the muslims not the prophet but here the prophet is being revealed onto like this verse but yet it doesn't include him and there's no mention of this i do feel that that is a weak argument from that perspective so i do agree with fatima radhiyallahu anha in that sense about inheritance however after looking into this in a lot of detail i do see that the debate if not about inheritance if about fame makes more sense that fame belonged because it was so much wealth it was something the state needed to to support the general muslims like travelers times of crises times like these things can't become personal properties that the imam whatever he gets as an imam is not really his personal property so if today an imam went out on war and he got a certain land in truce and that becomes fate then that really is not his personal property to say okay you know what i'm going to give this to my nephew that's not how it, i mean that would upset a lot of muslims because they'd be like no this is muslim general kind of welfare property it's an endowment so 
I see that angle of Abu Bakr as more correct, although the line of arguing of Mirath seems to not then make a bit of sense that because they're discussing inheritance, whereas they should have been really discussing faith. Um, so that's the thing. One thing that definitely gets quite, I think after Fati after Abu Bakr, Umar radiallahu an in Sahih al-Bukhari mentions that he gives the guardianship of it to Ali and Abbas and then they start arguing over it. And what happens, in fact, Bukhari seems to use his words that they insult each other and actually swear at each other and it mentions the swears as well. Uh, this is Ali and Abbas to each other and and then it mentions Umar saying to them that, look, I didn't give this to you as your personal you know, property. I gave you to just manage it. Uh, but as by the way, those who manage it do get to benefit from it. They can keep the benefits, but they don't own the actual thing. So here it mentions in our riwayat that uh, Ali overcomes Abbas and manages to keep it. Now, this is what some of the riwayat mention. Uh, now, then in the time of Uthman, and I'm not quite sure, I think here there is a question mark, it becomes hazy because Uthman seems to give it to his cousin Marwan. Uh, I'm not quite sure what was going on there. Maybe Uthman at that time uh, felt that, you know, people don't really need it or whatever, or maybe I'm going to, you know, I since as I'm the imam, I can do. So he gives it to Marwan. Does he give it to him as ownership or does he give it to him as just managing? I would think he gives it to him as managing. Why? Because otherwise it would have been the inheritance of Marwan's kids. But you see Marwan's son after him, Abdul Malik, who becomes the king, the caliph, and then his son, you get Walid and Suleiman, they ought to have inherited it. But in the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz after them, and he's not from Abdul Malik, he's from Abdul Malik's brother, Abdul Aziz, he says, I'm giving this back, I'm returning it to how it was in the time of Abu Bakr and Umar. And he says that this was wrong, you know, I, I disagree, it should be like how it was. So he, he gives it, restores the guardianship back to the family of the Prophet. And then what happens is in the Abbasids' time, because they felt that Ali sna snatched it from Abbas, as the Hadith says, they snatch it back. So Mansur snatches it back, then Ma'moon gives it back, then Mutawakkil snatches it back. And it just becomes a kind of a toy, really. But there was something really interesting that needed to be highlighted here. And I mentioned this, by the way, in the symposium I went to, that I said that, look, if this was such a key issue, one thing that you there's a huge kind of a pothole in this argument, and that is during the reign of Ali after Uthman, when he becomes caliph, he never takes it back. And then some of the, the Shia Imams said to me that, look, yeah, but that's because Ali, you know, it's he, he didn't want to because, uh, like they gave me a few answers. One was because, no, land is given to you. You don't demand it. I said, look, come on, that sounds, that doesn't really, mm, you know, that's a weak response because truly speaking, he comes to Umar asking for it, demanding it. So we know he was passionate about it. He even overcomes Abbas on it. So we know he was passionate about it. So 
the other argument they gave was that uh, Ali radiallahu at that time for the sake of unity. But that was a weak argument as well because during Ali radiallahu time he actually goes to war against several companions of the Prophet including the wife of the Prophet and other people. So I don't think unity was, it doesn't make any sense. And since Fadak was so fertile, it would have been an excellent resource for his army, the kind of supplies and things like this, because he, Ali Rodilan spends most of his caliphal rule, uh, you know, the four or five years he has, in civil war. So he would need resources. And the fact that it's so close to Medina and the Umayyads who he was fighting against later on or the Khawarij were up north in Damascus or Iraq, he could have easily taken Fadak, but yet he never even mentions Fadak. He doesn't really, you know. And so I feel that this is a huge kind of, uh, it's a huge question mark that why did Ali, if this is such a big deal, why did Ali not take it in his in his lifetime as a caliph? And, and, and I feel that none of the Shia responses seem to make sense. So one of the Shia uh, kind of students of knowledge did say to me that this was a metaphor. Fadak, it was never about Fadak, it was a metaphor about the, cali uh, the, the caliphate. So when Fatima came to Abu Bakr, she really came saying that he ought to be the Imam. I found that a bit weak as well because one, it just doesn't really sit right. Two, if she's coming to Abu Bakr, then she's kind of acknowledging that he's the Imam. And I don't know, but so I wanted to really go over this and sum this up, that the key issue here, I felt that Fatima radiallahu an, just in the argument of inheritance, I felt that she was kind of right that prophets do inherit. And you can't really use that as an argument. That's my personal uh, understanding. However, from the argument of fate, the land that an imam uh, gains during non uh, combatant kind of war um, that I would feel doesn't doesn't become his personal property it becomes the property of the general public the welfare so I would fall in line with that I so I think that would really be the crux of this issue I did have a little theory as well and I don't mean to uh, this is just coming from you know we were just discussing this and so this this could be completely off but I'll just share it with you I did feel that maybe because Fatima radiallahu anha in her claim asks for so much the quantity is so much maybe that was overwhelming which led to an instant denial because she asks for the sadaqat of Medina, of Bani Nadir, of Khaybar, of Fadak. She asks for it, like, all of that. Maybe, I just thought, I mean, this is just, this is pure spec. This is pure speculation. But I felt maybe because it was so overwhelming and in the time of Abu Bakr, there's the dis social disrest, there's the Musaylim al kathab there's, you know, there's all these things, people, Bani Hanifa saying, we're withdrawing our resources, we're not going to pay anymore, we're not going to give zakat, we're not going to give funds, uh, what do we do, there's an army of Usama already being dispatched, where do they get the resources from, and all of a sudden, Fatima radiallahu anha comes, and she doesn't just ask for a particular, she asks for the Medina resources, she asks for the Khaybar resources, she asks for Fadak, so I felt maybe it was kind of overwhelming quantity, you know, from a quantitative approach. And that's why maybe Abu Bakr radiallahu anh just instantly denied it. Um, 
And if it hadn't been that much, maybe he wouldn't have denied. I don't, this is pure speculation. I don't mean to, uh, you know, this is with the utmost love for all of these companions. I yeah, absolutely, I do love them. I'm not somebody, I disagree in that sense with the, the Shia approach. I do, um, you know, believe, and I've got a video that, look, all the companions, I, I kind of love them. I, I do feel that they, they were human and that, absolutely human it's not that they were kind of angels or anything and and naturally they would have had disagreements and made mistakes but but i just feel that this may be that's what led to that ijtihadi response uh, that immediate response because you see the other companions do disagree with Abu Bakr later on but i hope that's of some help uh, I just want to sum that, that uh, there is no, you can't resolve these issues, but at least you can have some clarity on them. Guys, I hope that's of some help. Let's move on. We've got the masala to get to as well. I've been asked, right, uh, about, um, somebody said, just to follow up on that, somebody said, so what he did was wrong. Uh, you see, I believe I'm in line with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He's thinking in terms of fate. So the argument from fate, I feel Abu Bakr is right. The only problem is in the hadith, it doesn't mention that. It mentions the argument from a point of inheritance. Now inheritance, I feel Fatima was right. So I feel that Fatima was entitled to inheritance. But this land, I do personally feel was fate. And or maybe most of it, if not some of it, maybe wasn't, but most of it was the general Muslim. It belonged to the general state, not to a personal property. It wasn't a so. But the only kind of confusion is in the Hadith. It doesn't mention fate. It mentions mirath. Like the Prophet said, we don't leave inheritance. So, I, so it's all muddled up. So I feel they're kind of both right, but from different perspectives. Um, and then I was just adding the human element of maybe that was just pure speculation. That's just me thinking, you know, I may be wrong. So, you know, it's not to, by the way, insult anybody. I don't want people to think that, oh, my God, he's thinking Abu Bakr wasn't thoughtful or something like this. I do feel that, you know, when we're asked things that uh, I do feel that Abu Bakr was one of the closest people to the Prophet ﷺ, to the extent that in the Sahih Hadith, when the Prophet is asked by a lady that, look, I need to settle some financial affairs and and I've got to do this and I'll come back. And the Prophet says, yeah, come back. And she says, فَإِلَّمْ أَجِدْكَ What if I come back and I don't find you? And it says, uh, and She intends by, what if you're no longer alive by the time I finish these things and come after a few years? And he says, فَأْتِي أَبَا بَكَرْ Come to Abu Bakr. And I do feel that, you know, he has his... Uh, an amazing maqam uh, in Islam. Radiallahu anhum jami'an. Cool people, let's move on with that. Right, so uh, is it permissible to perform, uh, what? To purchase uh, loans and by turning them into performing ones and foreclosing properties aren't paid by borrowers? Look, I do feel that the whole, I've got a detailed video on interest and mortgages and I feel that these things, mortgages and whatever are not haram. I've got a very lengthy video explaining it. That said, I'm not quite sure I fully understand this question, Khalid, but if it means kind of doing people over, then I'm against that oppression and things. I don't think it's fair to just kind of exploit people because they don't have money and to kind of chuck them out of their homes. 
but if you mean just buying property and using it as business and buying more then i i feel that that is permissible uh right so uh reincarnation i'd been asked yes reincarnation i i don't believe in reincarnation in that sense if that's what reincarnation means to to what it generally is understood as your soul kind of comes out and comes back to this world as another soul but i feel that the ruh is connected um right so i feel that the ruh is connected the arwah are connected and because of that connection maybe people th this consciousness being collected this social consciousness maybe people feel as though they have been reincarnated um so i feel that they you know it's the reincarnation theory from some perspective if you're talking about arwah being connected and then ultimately connected to god then the quran also does mention things like that but not quite in the way that like in hinduism or buddhism it's being mentioned so i would say that this is almost like the the story of the you know the blind men and the elephant and having to describe it and people have grasped a different uh you know part and then describing it accordingly right so um so in that sense the arwah they are connected i feel and then ultimately they're connected to god so i do feel in that sense one could think or experience maybe they because of this connection they think they've been here before or they've had a past life or i don't believe that they have had a past life in this dunya i believe that in this world our lives are just limited yolo in this dunya and then we move on i do feel that what we will move on as will be more consciousness related um but yeah so i hope that makes some sense uh, what I meant, Mark Lonzetta, what I meant earlier on, should we as a principle have only public funding of elections compared to corporate bribery of politicians that exist today uh, to not bribe the judges? Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Mark, and that, that is a, 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 an interesting question. The, the issue will be, I think there should be some regulation. I think it's fair to say that people can kind of invest, but then you're right. I mean, people with more money then get to tip the elections because they've got more funding <laughs> but then at the same time if you control it then you're kind of not allowing people to exercise their liberties it's a really tough one really but i do agree that you know you get multi the, the multi-millionaire and, and billionaire corporations are going to fund people that support the elite and then they're going to get more funding and then they can advertise more and do stuff and and we've all watched that um you know the netflix kind of documentary on it which was really scary by the way um somebody asked what's my thoughts on amir muawiyah and i do i uh see uh, sayyidna muawiyah as a great figure in islam i do highly respect him i i understand that he they they had disagreements amongst the companions i actually kind of like the uh the statesmanship of muawiyah he was incredibly astute and really knew how you know some people are cut out to rule and i would feel that muawiyah was one of those people that was cut out you know he's cut from that cloth like he knew how to rule and you can't deny that i mean in his 40 years of uh, rulership he never within sham had an uprising against him like that's just amazing isn't it <laughs> and i quoted the story once where 
he went past uh, this. He he was going past this place, and this lady was complaining, and she's saying, "Oh, and she used to be really pro Ali and anti Muawiyah." And he said that I've heard your crops or whatever. And she said she was complaining that she didn't have the crops and things like this. And he said, so you want me to, would you like me to assist you from the state fund to give you some? And she said, uh, yeah, okay. And he said, okay, I'll give you. And then he said to her, he said, you know, if if it was Ali, <laughs> he wouldn't give you. Because he would say, no, you know, there's a certain system and I'm not just going to give you and. And she says, uh, yeah, that's because he's more just. <laughs> so Muawiyah just laughs. You know, you got to love it, though. He kind of laughs and he says to the guy, he says, give her the crops. <laughs> and I just I just love that narration. Like the, the way I don't know. It's 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 amazing. Right, people, let's. I think I've answered all the questions. I know some people had sent some super chats and I did want to make sure I definitely, obviously, <laughs> serving my cause. <laughs> want to make sure I did respond to them. Well, that's all it's letting me go back to. And there's here I've definitely answered uh, Mark's question. Cool, people. I think let's get to the masala segment, people. Those of you that are aware... Right, our beloved people, our beloved Sheikh Asrar. <laughs> so first of all, those of you that don't know, Sheikh Asrar has had a debate, people, and he decided to debate a Christian, and for the sake of Islam, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, right. And so, first of all, he really surprised me, because in this debate, he says things which he's kind of been trying to really have a go at me about. And then just because he gets embarrassed in front of this Christian, he says the same things. It's like, it's so shocking. So this Christian basically kind of bashes him a bit with all these insulting, uh, ridiculous hadith in Bukhari. Oh, your child marriages are allowed. This is allowed. That is allowed. And what is our beloved, our beloved's response? Look, if you notice in the presentation, not a single verse of the Quran was quoted, the individual, uh, my interlocutor, went straight onto the hadith. That's like me not quoting the Bible to Christians and moving on to extra religious literature because hadith is not above criticism. Even Sahih al-Bukhari, there is like you have criticism of Bible oh, criticism. Even Sahih al-Bukhari? Reading hadith literature, when, <coughs> when a hadith report is solitary in its nature, the text can be criticized by scholars even though they say sahih what they mean by sahih is that the overall work is sahih Dobat, but Dobat. you notice child marriage is prohibited in the quran but Allah that was not Akbar. quoted child even though hanafi fiqh allows it but yaha read a hadith which contradicts the quran they can reject the hadith but they do not reject the quran for you to obey Muhammad, you have to go to the hadith. MashaAllah, Sheikh Bin Baz is speaking right that now. Muslims <laughs> are simply rejecting the Sahih Bukhari hadiths. I will come to that as we go on. Ibn Ishaq's book is open to criticism. Like the, the text of Bukhari is open to criticism. There are texts Wah, of Sahih Muslim. The text of Bukhari. Ha <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I honestly do not get what is going on. Why has he been criticizing me all this while for criticizing Bukhari? Gets in front of a, a bunch of Christians and says, What's wrong with criticizing Bukhari? So, people, I'm really intrigued by the Lion of Ahlus Sunnah. And what the Lion of Ahlus Sunnah did is to prove his claim that Islam is. Oh, Islam is always Al Islam Ya'lu wala yu'la Islam is always on top people. Therefore, to prove it, what well, you're gonna bring some arguments. No yeah. You're gonna write some books. No yeah. You're gonna do some detailed analytic refutation. No yeah. I'm gonna drink poison. Huh? I'm gonna what? I'm gonna drink poison to prove it. Go crazy! Rat poison people, Allahu Akbar. Okay. Allah. Allah. Can someone go and get a date? And also can someone check if it is poison or not? Rat poison people, rat poison. To prove that Islam oh is correct. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> now we know that Islam is definitely the haq. Islam can only be the haq now because we're drinking rat poison. Allahu Akbar. This, we've now found it, people. Look, here it is. This is. Here is a postman. What, 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 what? Ratatat, ratatat. Who can it be? This rat poison. This is how we prove the validity of Islam. And they, I honestly, honestly, I cannot believe this is how ridiculously absurd people have become. First of all, I want to say that, I mean, that, by the way, this was nothing but drama. That wasn't actually real rat poison. And what's happened is Sheikh Asrar didn't realize this was going to go viral. And then when it went viral, you had some idiots praising him. So he felt too embarrassed to backtrack. So he's now just pretended to go with it without kind of fully affirming. He just said, look, we shouldn't really concern ourselves. Let's talk about the debate. Don't worry. Forgetting the fact that one, it's haram to drink poison. <laughs> Two, as an influential figure who many people follow, including many young people, to drink rat poison to prove the veracity, veritability and truthfulness of Islam. So tomorrow some other idiots are going to say that MashaAllah, MashaAllah, I have got 
the proof. The proof is here. Allah, Allah. And then you're going to get some idiots that are going to either cause near-death experiences or die. <laughs> Natural selection, I guess. But this was so irresponsible. I mean, what kind of proof is that anyway, that Islam is the, the strongest religion? Why? Because why? Because we're going to <laughs> drink rat poison. So this were some of the tweets and the... <laughs> Kalandar <laughs> always, I love his, his posts, you know, <laughs> has rat, so from now on, has rat asrar, right? <laughs> and there was this one, Mehun Qadri Sunni Rattatat. Right, so people, this, by the way, so this is a. Uh, uh, those of you who don't know my beloved, beloved, Hazrat, this is Asrar uh, Ratvi Sahib. <laughs> Rat, Ratvi Sahib. Ratvi Sahib? Aap? Acha, acha, acha. Dadyal Ratta. Acha, acha. Ratta se taluk rakhte. Acha, acha, acha. Ratta. Bu soni galna karna. Bu soni galna karna. So this is the what we've got here, what this has come to people. So this, so today to prove the veritability of Islam, to prove people which denomination within Islam are as Ratvi Sahib. Obviously, I'm taking into me the spirit of Hazrat Hazrat Asrar Ratvi Ratvi Sahib. <laughs> I'm going to have a debate today, right here. I want to know, I want to prove which denomination. So as a representative of Wahhabi Islam is... <laughs> this is a different Ratvi Sahib. Ratvi Sahib. Right. We've got a Ratvi, a Sheikh, a Dilat Sheikh, a Ratvi is here. هل هل تقول أن هذه الأشياء هي بدعة وحرام وشرك لا كل نعم we're gonna have a debate who who is upon the حق so how are we gonna answer this wait a minute people what is Ratwi Sahib saying I found it you know this wasn't easy this was not easy people but the infamous guidelines to having a debate the famous text, the lost text of the Rashidiya that everybody's been looking for. The Rashidiya, people. The Rashidiya, I found it. This was it. All along. You want to debate with the Rashidiya? No, not the Rashidiya. Not the Rashidiya. I can't debate using the Rashidiya. You must debate with the Rashidiya. No. Oh, yeah. This is why Sheikh Asrar, all this while, Ratwi Sahib wanted the Rashidiya. It was so hard finding this, honestly. I eventually found it in Zara's bedroom. <laughs> Amongst her books, it was the Rat Shidiya, people. 
I found it, but it doesn't stop there. I can't, I'm sorry, I, I cannot debate with the Rachid. Not anything but the Rachidia, please. It must be, I've got a better method. People. <laughs> I've got a better method for this Wahhabi Ratvi Sahib. It is poison. We will, whoever is upon the haq must drink the poison. No, I want the Rachidia. No, the true claim is with poison. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to die alone. You better. <laughs> people this this is the ridiculous nature <laughs> that's this is what islam has got to this, this is my my little counterpart ratwi sahib so my ratwi sahib is sitting back there <laughs> this was a napkin it's come off ratwi sahib you sit right there so look, look how preposterous this has got people. It's come down to, this has come down to, <laughs> how do we know something is the truth? We'll drink rat poison. <laughs> what kind of, Can you imagine the armies in the past if they had Ratvi Sahib's logic? It would be like, oh no guys, they've got a, a huge army, it's well prepared, and the army comes, and they go, we are right in our claim, and you're like, well, uh, no, I think we're right, and they're like, to prove it, we will all drink rat poison, and you go, huh, wait, what, uh, okay, <laughs> and then half an hour later, the army's dead, <laughs> and you're like, oh, Thanks. <laughs> well, well, right, guys. Okay, I guess, I guess, uh, intelligence, common sense, isn't as common as we thought. <laughs> right. So the thing is this. Look. So some people have said, what about uh, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu an? First of all, there isn't a single Sahih hadith that Khalid bin Walid drank poison. Not a single Sahih Hadith. There's these few narrations in Tabrani and a few other texts, uh, the Musnad of Ahmad and others. And what do they mention? Who's transmitting them? You've got them from, who's transmitting them? Abu Safar. And, and people who never, they've never met Khalid bin Walid in their lives. All the narrators say, these are Mursal Riwayat. These people transmitting never met Khalid, Khalid ibn Walid in his entire life. And the other narration that they present, it comes through Sufyan ibn Ayyna and An'ana, it comes through Ismail, who's actually been slated. And then they say there's a Rawi Qais ibn Abi Hazim who has met Khalid bin Walid, allegedly. He's described as Munkarul Hadith. A Munkarul Hadith. This person is unacceptable in riwayat. So many people have problematized him from the muhaddithin 
th these chains are not sahih. So you bring about an incident that, okay, people have just used it to praise Khalid bin Walid uh, over the past. And as a story, folklore, it's kind of come down fine. And if it were true, if it were true that in his time, somebody presented it and he drank it. First of all, that's his action. Maybe he drank something which he knew wasn't and, and somebody but these things are usually just stories. Khalid bin Walid radiallahu was much more intelligent than that. Okay. He wasn't somebody like you know, just absurd or somebody that was irrational, had no knowledge, wasn't strategic, he didn't have you know, to say, I know the way we'll settle this is here's your poison, I'll drink it. <laughs> then I'm dead or in this case I'm not but I could have been dead even though the scholars all say it's haram to drink poison so this riwayah of Abu Safar of Khalid bin Walid is not sahih it is not sahih bring me and a chain that has not been criticized that is sahih, that stands up to the test it doesn't exist it's not in any of the major books of hadith Right, not in not in the Sahihain or whatever and things like that. It, there is a riwayah in Musnad of Ahmad and I've shown it's not even connected and it's problematized. And in Tabrani, who brings all kinds of uh, absurd narrations. Secondly, even if even if somebody in the past did something like this, let's say they did. Let's say let's just say hypothetically, eight hundred years ago there was a man who, with a Christian, said, you know. If your religion is the true one, let's jump into this fire. And they call this Mubahala. And they, they used to do this with Qadianis and other people as well. So they would say, whosoever, uh, who, you know, the, whoever's religion is the truthful one, God save them.
let me just uh hello 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 is that back is that back people can you hear it i think what happened is i is that okay no sound is the sound back audio gone audio gone still gone still no audio it's working okay damn so what i was saying is i was saying that there was the poet uh who says that bada to khair bada that alcohol is still alcohol hum to zehar bhi pi jayein kateer i would even drink poison shart to ye hai ke hame baahon mein sambhale koi the condition is that it's in in her arms <laughs> <laughs> and i was saying that in our ratwi sahib's version that would be people are saying there's still no sound it's coming a sound from here now damn what is going on is this still no sound Uh, it's showing me a sound output right now it's showing me a sound output i don't seem to it's saying i'm definitely having sound output here i can even see the we can't hear you it's okay some people are saying from the mubahala jumping it's fine okay are ye okay shukran so i was saying about the mubahala that look this whole thing about in the in the past you couldn't you know even if somebody did jump into some fire uh right th- th- this doesn't mean that today you would do that that's just stupid even if there was a figure 500 years ago he said you know what if whichever religion is correct what we're going to do is both of us are going to go out there and face this i don't know volcano erupting even if somebody said that that's absurd for you to do it because this deen is one that is built on reason is that how people will outdo each other in proving the veritability the truthfulness of their religions that i know will drink poison whosoever survives survives that's just crazy and and that's what i was uh, i was saying in that poem that the shart ye hai ke baahon mein sambhale koi that i would drink alcohol bashir badar says ke baada to khair baada zehar bhi pi jaye sorry katil says katil shifai hum zehar bhi pi jaye katil that our ratwi sahab's version would be like uh, his version would be that baada to khair baada hum zehar bhi pi jaye katil shart to ye hai ke rashidiya ko sambhale koi somebody must just take care of the rashidiya text that's all and i was mentioning that you know really this this book he was so right it's really it's changed my life it's everything has just changed since i've got the rashid 
Blimey, I'm a, I'm a new person. <laughs> you guys don't know what you're missing out on. I mean, this Rachidia book. Ah. I mean, is is life even worth living if you haven't read the Rachidia? I mean, just it's it's it's. <laughs> I mean, there you can see this, this raccoon, meerkat, kind of entertaining the hyena. <laughs> it's just emotional, this. Ratatatatat. Sahib. Right, so people, I think uh, this, this, it's been amazing. It's really gone on so long. Uh, I really was, I, I just found this, this whole drinking poison thing so absurd. And I'm shocked at individuals who are really celebrating it as he's a true wali of Allah. Why? Because uh, he has drank poison and so he didn't die. <laughs> the warrior. Oh, there's the little sword. Huh? Sword. You, you, you. <laughs> so I think this this is the... And now you're going to get some idiots who are going to actually try this probably. You know, so as a responsible person, seriously, that, 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 that there's safeguarding concerns there. How can a person who is a figurehead do something like this live? Because there's so many, you know, pretend. And it was drama. Honestly, he was lying. I'm telling you. And this is even worse because now the Christians will say that, oh, this is all your religion is. It's just full of charlatans. You know, all you do. And they're going to say that's what your prophet did as well. And this, this is my point. It's so stupid. And Asrar Ratvi Sahib just didn't think this was going to go as viral as it did. And now he's kind of stuck. And so he's pretended to, without directly saying it, just pretend that it was real. So, yeah. Ah, what, what's the, the poet says that Har mor pe mil jate hain. Uh, no, what is it? हर मोड़ पे मिल जाते हैं हम दर्द हजारों शायद मेरी बस्ती में अदाकार बहुत है एंड दिस इज ऑल इट वाज पीपल नो टंकी दैट्स ऑल इट वाज हाय योर रटवी साहिब नो टंकी ना मुन्ना ना नो टंकी ना ही करने का है ये इस वन नॉट नाइस इन दिस नो टंकी <laughs> Guys, I think, you know what? Right, so I think, are we allowed planned childbirth uh, through IVF? Planned childbirth, birth, you, you, I, I believe IVF is permissible and things like this are permissible. Hisham ibn Urwa as a transmitter is problematic. Uh, you have to be a bit weary of him. Uh, right, what do I reckon about Hassanat and Sister Sarah? <laughs> Sister Sarah. <laughs> I've seen those videos that have gone out kind of. 
I mean, there's so, so much drama. I don't get, I honestly don't know what's happening with them. I People share these viral clips. I see it on one of them. They're discussing we're back and she's back. And then they've got, I think he's exposing her because he's got a video of her at clubbing. <laughs> you know, just so we can see yeah, Roop. <laughs> uh, this this Roop Sunehra is so just in case people think yaar koi rupee nahi yahan pe yaar so he's made a ver- he's made a uh, clip which i'm I, I i i don't know whether he's leaked the clip himself they've had some tiff or not i don't know their drama yaar i can't keep up with it but but yeah so sister yeah sister i don't know why people call i don't call women sisters anyway i mean it's not it's not my and I'm not really the, the incest thing ain't really my thing <laughs> people love you and leave you I think this we've gone on so much we've discussed today taking a look at the Ajwa dates we've taken a look at some other complex issues we've gone over the the commentaries by scholars like Al-Mazari Imam Mazari we've taken a look at the Fadak issue what was the history what is fate the verses of the Quran the disagreements between the companions we've looked at our uh, Asrar Ratwi Sahib <laughs> and his bravery improving alhamdulillah you know i had a bit of doubts about islam but once i saw him drink poison i i isn't there isn't a single doubt left now i I mean atheism destroyed (laughs) guys it's been awesome so with that i think we'll wrap it up if there are any issues any questions do reach out to me instagram you can message me i do get back to people's messages i i haven't there's a a log on facebook i've got a backlog but on instagram i do usually respond uh quite quickly so uh, do reach out to me if there's anything i'll try and respond other than that remember me in your kind du'as take very good care of yourselves people assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh shukran for really hanging out all this <laughs> for putting up with these two hours of my <laughs> mania whatever it is much love Mwah. inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh and, th- and those of you that haven't yet subscribed <laughs> I, I i'm at a loss of words <laughs> Right, so 